Well, good morning. Welcome to Ambassador Church. Our service today uh, is live, and in the next few weeks, we will be transitioning uh, into reopening. And last week, we had a, a great forum, a church forum, uh, asking the question. And we want to do it safely. We want to do it in a way that uh, honors God, honors our neighbors, uh, but also honors the people of God that want to come and worship. And so uh, join with us uh, as we pray through how we are going to be reopening. But we thought it would begin by me preaching a sermon uh, live. And so today uh, is Sunday morning, and uh, so I'm excited to be with you in sharing God's Word. Uh, before I begin uh, prayer, um, it's important for us to remember um, as Ambassador Church that we were founded upon the mission of being a multi-ethnic church that we believe that all men and women are created in the image of God. And one of the things that we see as the effect of sin is racism. And racism and prejudice have, has no place in the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we want to be very strong about uh, is this, that injustice everywhere needs to be stamped out. But we also recognize this, that injustice comes from the heart of man, that we have been separated from God. And as a result of that separation, that all of us are prejudiced, all of us have biases. And unless we look within first, uh, no matter what laws we enact, it has to begin with the human heart. And that's where the gospel comes in. And that's our mission, is to make sure that we communicate the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to transform the heart that will ultimately transform the nation. So let's pray uh, as we begin our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this uh, live worship. Uh, thank you for the proclamation that we are ambassadors. We are here to represent a different king, a different kingdom, a kingdom not of, of this world, but a kingdom that is of eternity. Father, we yearn for that day in which we can all be united as your people, that all of us have been created in your image, whether we're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever race, whatever background, whatever culture we're from, that we all have dignity and beauty and to recognize, first and foremost, that the heart of man is wicked, that we are all wicked, and that, Lord, that we need to repent, and we need to confess our sins before you, and that, Lord, that you would forgive us of whatever racism and biases that we have that dishonors you. So help us to proclaim the good news of Jesus as we focus on this passage this morning. Help us to be a disciple that is willing to go and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that is one of my favorite words uh, is the word vision. Now, when I think about vision, um, it is a, a word that describes sort of the idea of purpose, the idea of a goal. Uh, vision statements are important because what a visionary does is that it allows an organization to see what is ahead. This year, we established a vision statement at Ambassador. We said that Ambassador strives to be a multiplying congregation with the mission of launching local congregations, contextualizing to reach a multi-ethnic community. Uh, our vision this year is to be a church planting church that multiplies congregations all across. And we begin this year with uh, two congregations. We've had two congregations, but we are going to be moving toward that. We may even create a third congregation with uh, an internet congregation now. But vision is an integral part of, of an organization because without vision, you can't move forward. I remember many years ago, Steve Jobs, uh, founder of Apple Computers, um, 
you know, many of you who are non-Apple users, uh, you know, for me, I, I uh, did a little stint working with Apple, but I've always admired uh, Steve Jobs as a visionary. And one of the things that, that happened in his life was uh, a story in which the company was outgrowing his ability to lead it. And this was his first uh, run at Apple. Uh, he flies out to New York to look for an executive that could replace him. And he lands in, in New York and meets a, a vice president of Pepsi Company. His name was John Scully. And uh, he sort of makes the pitch. Would you come and help the struggling little computer company? And John Scully, as he was looking out the Manhattan window, a skyline, said to Steve, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm not sure if I'm the right guy. I'll come as a consultant, but I'm not sure if I can lead your company. And then the famous line that Steve Jobs quoted was a line in which he gave the vision of the company. He said, do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugar water? Or do you want to change the world? Well, according to Time magazine, uh, the, the, the invention that changed the 20th century was actually the iPhone. He did change the world. Because he had vision to see what other people didn't see. You know, if there's a visionary in our day and age, it's a, it's a man named Elon Musk. Uh, many of us are driving uh, his, his technology in his car. But something happened a few days ago. Uh, his spacecraft actually went... Uh, and launched and, and landed, uh, not landed, but connected with the space station. But one of his interesting statements that he made is that he had a perfect statement for his SpaceX uh, company. Nine simple words. This was his vision. He said this, we're going to land people on Mars by 2025. Well, the reality is without vision, people perish. So the question for us is this, at Ambassador Church, what is our vision? What is the thing that drives us? What is the thing that moves us? What is the thing that allows us to move forward? Well, as we began our church, we began with the vision of making a church community that reflects ultimately the kingdom of God. We want to be a community in which we call people to Christ and to the gospel. And we want to reflect what heaven's going to look like. And I'm so excited that we are getting there. We may not be there yet, but we're moving there closer and closer. You know, our vision hasn't changed. Our mission hasn't changed. And one of the things that I want to encourage you is this, that the call of Jesus is the same call for back then as well as today. And one of the important things about being an ambassador is to represent Christ to our community. You know, in Matthew chapter 9, as Mike preached on this last week, one of the things that Jesus ends in this particular passage is the call for others to follow Jesus. And Jesus has this interesting statement in Matthew 9. He says this, Jesus went through all the towns preaching and teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, healing every disease. And then he says this, as he looked at the people, they were helpless and, and hapless, uh, people, harass people, sheep without a shepherd. And here was Jesus' prayer. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You know what Jesus' prayer was? His vision was that every single one of us to represent him, to go into the harvest, and I believe that is our mission. And that mission is ever-growing because one of the things that we are seeing is that Christianity is falling in disfavor 
in this country. And part of it is because we have married Christianity to the wrong things. Maybe politics or maybe even just social uh, behavior. In an article recently at, at Pew uh, Research Center, they state that there is a rapid decline in Christianity. They state that religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In the Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted between 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults described themselves as Christians. When asked about their religion, down a 12% over the past decade. With this rapid decline, one of the reasons that Christianity is declining is that people are not seeing what true Christianity is all about. They're not seeing the person of Jesus. And as a result, what we are showing Christianity is sort of a facade to the world. Well, that's why I believe the call to follow Jesus and to proclaim Jesus is ever greater. And our mission here at Ambassador is to represent Christ to everyone, everywhere. Well, today, we want to encourage you as, as we go through, continue with the book of Matthew, that one of the words that we want to use is that, that we want to be missional. We want to be missionaries. And here's the thing that all of us have to understand is that every single one of us are missionaries. Now, we think of a missionary as, as somebody who goes overseas. Yes, they are missionaries as well. But we are local missionaries. We are living what we would call missional lives. And in this particular chapter, in chapter 10, Jesus transitions now for this prayer for the harvest, of prayer for workers, and then he now transitions to workers themselves. If I look at Matthew 10, it is what I would call the job description of what a missionary would be. And we're going to look at a few characteristics of what it does it look like to be missional. The first thing that we see in this passage is this, that we are all called to live as missionaries. We are all called to live missionally. Notice this in verse 10. After the prayer, Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Then he transitions into chapter 10 with these words. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And then it says in the next verse, he calls them by name. He, uh, we see that the names of the disciples. First, Simon, who's called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and so forth. And it gives you the list, list of the 12, even Judas. One of the things that is important in this passage is this, that Jesus called ordinary men and women to be his followers. That to be a missionary is not some super ordinary person. I, I used to remember going to a, a Christian missions conference. And, and sometimes I, as I would sit in and listen to people preaching uh, about missions, it, it almost seemed like for me that the super spiritual or the highest spiritual person was a missionary, that they would give up everything to go uh, to this foreign place. But in this passage, Jesus is calling ordinary people. And one of the things about disciples, were, 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 they were not educated people. They were, they, were, they were not just people that were in one particular profession or doing one particular thing. Some were fishermen, some were tax collectors, some were uh, even political zealots, so we see that. And, and others were uh, people that were just common, everyday folks. And it's important to remember this, that every one of you are called. If you follow Jesus as an ambassador, that you are living your life in a missional way. And whether that's across the street, or across the state, or across the sea, 
that we are all living as missionaries. You know, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28 is sort of that reaffirmation of the call of being a missionary. Jesus said this, go and make disciples of all people, of all ethnic groups. And as citizens of God's kingdom, that's our job description, isn't it? So whether you're a stay-home mom, your mission field may be your, your children. Whether you are a student, your mission field is your public school. Whether you are working in a corporate uh, context, your mission field is that. Whether you own your own business, whatever the field may be, that you and I are called by God to live missionally. And to be a missionary, uh, we have to do certain things, right? Uh, I have a lot of friends who are overseas, and I, I've had the privilege of traveling to a lot of different countries. And it's hard living missionally, isn't it? And for those of you who are watching overseas, you, 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 you face uh, cultural context uh, challenges that maybe people in America aren't facing. Every single person struggles in this field of, of being called a missionary. But there are four things that I want you to draw your attention to. This is what I would uh, sort of uh, look at the four uh, points, a doctrinal statement of, of being a missionary. And so living missionally means that we have to keep these four things in mind. So whether you're in your marketplace job, whether you're in your college campus, whether you are living in some country uh, in Africa, Latin America, China, Turkey, wherever you may be, these are four things that I think apply to every single disciple. And so Jesus, as he calls his disciples, he, he reminds them of four things. The first thing is this, that we have to keep the main thing the main thing. We have to make sure that the gospel is paramount. Now, notice this in these next few verses, verses uh, 5 through 16. The 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter the town of the Samaritans. Go rather the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold silver or copper for your belts. Take no bag for your journey or your extra tunic or your sandals or your staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. In this particular passage, what Jesus is reminding us is this, that when you go, don't get sidetracked. Don't get caught up in all these different things, but instead go preach the gospel. Preach the good news. You know, it's easy for us as, as living missionally is that we can get sidetracked with so many different things. On a practical level, we can get sidetracked with, with our jobs or what's happening in our culture with, with some of the things that are happening with the riots or even with the virus. But we have to remember this, that our, our main mission here on earth is to share the good news of the gospel, is to preach the gospel. And not to get sidetracked whether people accept us or reject us. And here in this particular passage, Jesus was very specific. Go first to the lost tribe of Israel. Go to the Israel. And if they reject you, then go to the Gentiles. There was an order. There was a process. You know, I think as, as Christians, you know, one of the dangers is to get sidetracked with a life itself. And to sort of get kind of like strangled by the things of this life. And I think one of the things that, that we have seen in these last few months is this, 
that very few of us have control over life. That in many ways, that, that the thing that matters the most is the things that are eternal. Because the temporary things all fade away. But you know what is really important for us in evangelism and sharing our faith? That's the only thing that we can do on earth. Our primary mission is to call people to worship, to call people to, to, to God himself. I like what John Piper says many years ago in, in one of his books. He says, mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is not ultimate, but mission. Uh, worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over and countless millions of redeemed fall on their knees before the throne of God, mission will be no more. Worship, therefore, is the fuel of mission. Mission begins and ends in worship. What he's saying is this, that we are all living missionally because not everybody can worship God. Our purpose as Christians is to call people into a life of worship. And I think that's the main thing, isn't it? So it begins with our worship of God, and then it goes out to the mission to the world. If I could summarize two things, that's really what our job description as Christians are, really, is to worship God, evangelize the lost. As one pastor said, we could do everything in heaven better, except for one thing. There's only one thing we can do here on earth, and that's to share the gospel with people who don't know him. So I want to call you to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get sidetracked. Don't, don't get lost in the secondary issues of life. Number two, second reality is this, that opposition is normal and it's to be expected. The second thing that Jesus does is not only calls his disciples on this mission to preach the gospel, not to get sidetracked, but then he says in verse 17, be on guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the gospel. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say. At the time, you will be given what to say. For it will be not you speaking, but the Spirit of Father who will be speaking through you. Brothers will betray brothers to death. And a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and will have put, be put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The second reality in our job description, living missionally, is this. That opposition is par for the course. I think for a lot of us, that's one thing that, that we don't want. We don't want people to oppose us. We want people to like us. But here's the thing, that sometimes that you have to put a dividing line between what is wrong and what is right. That's the hardest thing about following God's vision, isn't it? I remember when um, I first planted a church out in the D.C. area. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to start this little church. We're going to, we we met, started in our apartment. And I, I, was, I was taken back by how much opposition. Not only did I get opposition uh, from Satan from, from, or, or from my own personal expectations, but I got opposition from the church. People were asking, why are you starting another church? And I remember really at that point, it helped me to do one thing. It helped me to clarify my vision. That oftentimes God brings opposition because opposition allows us 
to clarify and to sanctify what our true vision is. One of the things that I'm encouraged by in this passage is this. When opposition comes, remember this, that the Spirit of God will carry you through. Notice what he says here. When, when you are brought before men and women who oppose you, he says this, don't worry about what you will say. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will be not you speaking, but the Spirit of God. The greatest resource that we have as Christians in opposition is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is our fuel. He is our protection. He is also the one who leads and guides us. And, you know, I think for many of us who have been uh, on the mission field cross-culturally, opposition is, is normal. I remember be, being in China one time I was talking on the phone, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and he said, shh, do you hear this? I go, what? what? I, I don't hear anything. He goes, do you hear that click? And I said, no, I don't hear the click. And he was very, very cryptic. <laughs> Basically, later on, he texted me, he says, we're being spied on. And they lived in this sort of, this feel of, of that the government was always intruding and watching, and that to be extremely careful. You know, we may not have that in our culture here in that overt way, but I think all of us in some ways will face that. And so the question for us as Christians is not, will we be opposed? The question is, what in the midst of opposition are we going to rely on? Are we going to quiet down? and not say anything? Or are we going to be bold in a winsome way to show them the reality of God, no matter how much we are opposed? One of the interesting things Jesus says is that when you're opposed, he doesn't call people to fight back, but he calls people to stand firm. And when they stand firm, even though people, even family members oppose us, he says this, that when you are persecuted, when you, when you stand before God, that God will be the one lifting you up. The third thing we hear in this lesson is this, that we need to learn to overcome fear. Now, every one of us, the number one fear that we have, if it, and I've taught evangelism at, at seminary and Bible college, and, and the number one thing we always talk about, is why aren't you sharing your faith? Or what's the thing that keeps you from sharing your faith? The number one reason that people give is fear. And you know what? In this passage, um, Jesus reiterates that. The disciples were given the power to drive out demons. The disciples were given the power to preach the gospel. The disciples were given the power to have the Holy Spirit fill them and to do the ministry through them. And yet, every disciple was scared. And that's normal, isn't it? Because we have no idea what the future lies. And so Jesus says this in verse 26, Do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, speak out in, the, in daylight, will be whispered in uh, your ear, proclaimed from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who destroy both the body and the soul. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fail to fall to the ground apart from the will of God. It says this, last verse. Verse 31, so do not be afraid. You are worth far more than sparrows. You know, fear is a normal part of life. And sometimes fear can drive us or paralyze us in our lives. And all of us have different types of fears, don't we? I know for me, uh, growing up, <laughs> I was a, uh, a fearful boy. I was always a worrier. 
fearful that my parents would, something would happen to them. And, and, and sometimes those fears can become so big that we lose sight of God himself. And one of the things that, that is, I think, a lesson for all of us, and here in this passage, Jesus reminds us, don't fear. Why? Because God is greater than our fears. He says this, do not be afraid in verse 31. You are worth more than the sparrows. Think about this in our lives. Why are we fearful? Well, we're fearful because we don't know what the future holds. But here's the thing. God knows the future. We don't have to be afraid because as long as our lives are in his hands, we know that he has full control. You know, I think with the pandemic, there's a lot of fears because there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and one thing I'm convinced of is all the uncertainties are sort of in some sense accentuated by the unknown. So we have one opinion and another opinion, and, and, and they clash. And I say this as Christians, yes, we need to be wise. Yes, we need to listen. But we also need to be bold, and we need to move forward in faith and trusting that God is at hand, because no one has the absolute truth other than God himself. Instead of fear, what Jesus was calling his disciples to was courage. Courage is something that we do, even though we are fearful. And courage is not the absence of fear. That courage is faith in the midst of fear. That we can stand firm because God is the one who we stand on. Last thing Jesus tells his disciples in this four-part job description. As a missionary, fear is going to be normal. But this is what's going to drive us. That we need to have an eternal perspective. Notice what he says in verse 32. Jesus says this, don't be fearful because our perspective is eternal. He says, verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before man, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before man, I will disown heaven. And then Jesus continues on about people will churn against each other. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I, I did not come to bring peace, peace but a sword. For I have come to churn a man against his father, a daughter against their mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy uh, will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he who receives, uh, receives you receive me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus' point in this passage is this, that what is greater than even our love for our families is following Jesus. Because from an eternal perspective, Jesus ultimately wins. The kingdom of God ultimately will be established. And I think one of the things that, that, that we shared with you before is this, that unless we have an eternal perspective, we get caught up in the temporary things of life. Because we know Jesus is coming back, it shapes and molds our, our, our sense of even discouragement that we are hopeful people because Christ is coming back. We are holy people because Jesus is coming back. And, and, and we are hardworking people because Jesus is coming back. For us, the work of God is always done with an eternal perspective. Doesn't eternity change our perspective on the present? It does. 
Think about it from this simple illustration. If you know what the future holds, then what you're dealing with in the present becomes minimal. There's a story, uh, imagine if there were two women of the same age, same social economic status, the same educational level, even the same temperament, and, and you hire both of them uh, on an assembly line, and their job was to put A into slot B, and they were to do it over and again for eight hours. You put them in identical rooms with identical lighting, identical temperature and ventilation, and you give them the same amount of breaks. But the only condition that is different is this. You tell one, at the end of the year, you will be paid uh, $30,000. But at the second one, you tell them, at the end, you'll be paid $30 million. After the first couple of weeks, the woman will say, man, isn't this tedious? Isn't this driving you insane? And the second one will say, no, this is perfectly acceptable. In fact, I whistle while I work. Well, what's going on? These two women are working in the same job. What changed is their eternal reward. One was going to receive $30 million. So it didn't matter what happened, how mundane their life was, because they knew that their perspective for the future changed the way they lived in the present. I think for us as Christians, living missionally is that. That we're on mission because we're not here to further our kingdom. We're not here to further our mission here at the church. We are here to further God's kingdom. And ultimately, here's the good news. Jesus wins. The kingdom of God is established. And the people of God will grow. You know, I see the racial tensions that we face in our world around us. And I believe that one of the reasons that we exist here is to proclaim the values of the kingdom. What does a kingdom of God look like where people of different ethnic backgrounds can love each other? Not because of our educational background, not because of our ethnic background, but we love each other because we're all created in the image of God. You know what our mission is? Our mission is to be an ambassador, to represent Christ to everyone everywhere. But there's one other thing. So what is our method for reaching the harvest? And the answer is two things as we began our sermon. Pray that God will send all of you to wherever you are to know and recognize that every place that you have or are, are at is your mission field. But number two is be willing to go. You know, for us as Christians, coming to church is important on Sunday, and we desire that day in which all of us can be in a sanctuary together, singing the songs of God together. And that's important. But we also encourage you, just as important, is to go out and to go. Maybe God is scattering us for this season, as, as I shared last week, that we are living in exile for this short season. To go means that we, to represent Christ as missionaries, to live on mission for God. And that's why we started Ambassador Church. So that we can be message of people of reconciliation. That we are his ambassadors. So as we conclude our time together, I just want to thank you for being a part of this mission. That we as a church that could be multi-ethnic, missional, and multiplying. So that ultimately we fulfill this whole vision that Jesus had.
that we can proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. Let's pray.